So we'll start with a question. Lots of different answers to this, so no right answer, wrong answer kind of thing. I'm curious. What are some of the ways that you pray for other people? So it depends on the circumstance. Or just think back in your mind or think for someone you're praying for right now. What are some of the ways that we pray for people? We all pray. We have people. Yeah, Ellen. I, when I think of somebody, and I, I just pray. If, if I'm thinking of a circumstance or something... If I do it then and there, because if I waited until I like, sat down, it would never work. Yeah. I just try to do it kind of, I guess, on the fly. Mm -hmm. But God gives, we don't have to be sitting there. Else. No, it's perfect. That's, that's great advice, by the way. That's a spiritually mature bit of advice. For those that have tried to pray for a lifetime and realize how distractible we are, pray immediately. What are some of the specific types of prayers that we pray? What do we say to God for other people? Yes. I pray for my family and for people close to me. And I pray that God be with them and love them, give them healing and grace. Mm. I try to pray every day this type of prayer. Mm. Beautiful. It's working, I promise you. I promise you God hears and responds to those prayers. Those are great examples. What else? What comes to mind? How do we pray for other people? Larry. I pray as if it was my situation and mm. what would I want or desire or hope for. And I know that uh, those prayers tend to be answered when they're properly directed. Yeah. I got Actually here. Yes, yes, we love praying here and love seeing God answer prayers. I was convicted at one point in my life that. Um, I had done some thinking about how you usually get frustrated with other people about the things that are wrong with you, right? Or that you, you want someone else to do something, but it's the thing you don't do yourself. And I started to like feel convicted. I wonder if my prayers are working that way. Like I'm praying for someone else to do this thing and I should. And so I had a whole season, like a few months, where every prayer I prayed, no matter what it was, I would turn around and pray that same exact prayer for myself. And sometimes it didn't exactly fit, but a lot of times it was like, oh... Okay, you're right. That humbling, like, turn it around. So I know what you mean there. That can be a really uh, refreshing and, like, eye-opening kind of prayer. It's not just them. It's us. It's we. Good. What else? Any others come to mind? How do we pray for people? I often will send a note, mm -hmm. or now maybe even just a text saying, I thought of you specifically this situation. Mm -hmm. I have a nephew in the military. Yeah. Just pray and tell them. Yeah, tell them they've been prayed for. A text, a note. That's awesome. That's awesome. Anything else? Eleanor? Um, like everyone else, you know, you pray for people for healing, for salvation. Mm -hmm. But sometimes you just get so desperate and you don't know how or what to pray. You just yeah. Help. Help. <laughs> just help. help. Yeah. He knows, he knows what's needed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it's a beautiful prayer. That's a beautiful prayer. What else? Any others come to mind? Mickey? Praying for God to like, reveal himself to me. Ah, praying for God <laughs> to reveal himself to someone. Yes, that's a good one. That's a good one. Jim? I would say um, also just um, asking God how you can help with the situation. If you're praying for someone who's dealing with difficulty, just ask God how you can help. And, yeah. You know, he'll talk to you about just if it's picking up a phone and, you know, mm. the person's someone to talk to. That's the practical prayer, right? Instead of just go be warm and well fed and hope God helps you out. Like, oh, maybe I can give you the warmth and the food and whatever else you need. Yeah, how can we help? That's good. That's good. I pray for 
That's right. such good Holy Spirit kind of prayers, prayer for miracles, prayer for power. Nothing is impossible for God. Well, in the Bible, we have all these instances, a bunch of them, where we see that Jesus went off to pray by himself. I always kind of wish I could be a fly on the wall in that moment. Like, what were his prayers like? He's probably pretty good at it, right? So, like, what would it be like to actually listen in? Instead of just knowing Jesus went off to pray, like, what words did he use? How did he sit or stand? Did he have a favorite way to pray? Was it always a certain way, or was it totally different based on the moment? And most of the time, we just don't get that answer. We, we get one-word prayers a lot, right? Um, Father, if, be your, if it be your will, take this cup from me, right? In the garden, like a one-word prayer, um, we have a few others that are simple, but there's one place in the Bible we have an entire prayer of Jesus recorded. Word for word, just written down by someone who stood there and listened to him pray. And not just that, but someone who was being prayed for, someone who was the recipient of this prayer. And it was the Apostle John, the disciple whom Jesus loved, very close to him, one of his inner three. And uh, he wrote down word for word this beautiful prayer that Jesus prayed. And so I kind of pictured it this way. It's like a master class on prayer. If there's anyone that knows the most about prayer, it is Jesus Christ. He's our intermediary. He's our priest. He's the one who tore the curtain. He's the, the son of God. He's God in human form. He's, he is us, but he is God and he binds us and he died. Like, who could know more about prayer than Jesus? But this isn't just him giving instructions on prayer. We have the disciples' prayer, right? The Lord's Prayer. This is how you should pray. But that's like when you teach your kids. You give them the simplified version. Like, these are some good concepts. Jesus just goes deeper than that. He doesn't need the basics. He knows it all. And so, as I've been reading through John chapter 17 this week, it's been something I've been trying to like chew on and think about. And so I'm going to hand it off to you here. We're going to talk about it. And then I'd love to ask you to pray and read through John 17 for the upcoming week. Now, I spent my week working on it, and it was rich. It was beautiful. I'm going to hand it off to you and ask that you take this next week and do the same, because we need to be good at prayer. We need to understand prayer. We need to like push ourselves into prayer. It's one of these critical life skills as a believer. We're commanded to prayer. You know, obedience is prayer. Power in prayer. There's so much to it. But sometimes we sort of feel like, well, I ran out of words. <laughs> I prayed the thing I pray. Dear God, please help my kids. Dear God, please help my neighbor. Please be with me. Thank you, God, for who you are. Now what? This is the kind of prayer we can study that will expand our prayer vocabulary. It will give us new ways to think about prayer just by watching a master at work. And when we come to church, it's kind of like um, you, you go to a gym and there's a trainer there and they show you how to use the equipment so that your body can grow stronger. Well, Jesus is our trainer. We come together, we gather together so that he can train us in how to make our souls strong. We're looking for fit souls, not just fit bodies. So we're here to go to the master to say, how can we grow? And prayer is one of those things we all need to grow in prayer. I don't care if you are a prayer warrior, if you are a prayer giant, you've been praying since you were three years old. Prayer is a limitless depth. It is, it's, in its, it's an immensity. It's not a checkbox. It, it can never be plumbed to its depths because you're communicating with the God of the universe. 
So you can never think of something to say to him that he hasn't heard. You can never say enough to him to really respect and honor who he is. And so I just want to go ahead and read that together. We're in John chapter 17. I want to read this prayer. I want to think about who Jesus is talking to. I'll give us a little context before we read it, just so we can have this in our mind. This is the last prayer that Jesus prays before he goes off to be betrayed. If you were going to say one last prayer, knowing that one of your closest friends was about to stab you in the back, was about to betray you, you know, the bitterest failure kind of moment, what would be the prayer you'd pray right before that? Well, this is Jesus. He knows what's coming. He knows the future. He's predicted. He's told them this is going to happen. And so he's praying. It's a legacy prayer. It's a prayer handoff. He prays for the people who are going to continue on the mission that he is handing them. Go and make disciples of all nations. So it's this kind of legacy prayer. It's a handing off. What would you pray in that moment? And as we read through it, think, oh, why did he pray that there in this moment? And I think it's the Gospel of Matthew. After the the Passover, it says they sang a hymn and they went out to the Mount of Olives. So most likely this prayer is either he said this prayer and then they sang a song and left. Or they sang a hymn just like we did. And then he prayed this prayer and then they walked out the doors and went to the garden. And then he's praying like with sweat, just like drops of blood. You know, that, that's the prayer in that season. But in this moment, he's thinking about his people. So keep in mind the context, uh, where it happens in Jesus' life, what it means. But I also want you to be thinking about who he's talking to. He's talking specifically to his disciples. And so these are the people he has been mentoring. These are the people he's been hands-on training for years. So I would like us to be thinking, who are the people that we're mentoring? If you are a parent, this applies easily to your children. Would you pray this prayer for your children? If you are a Sunday school teacher or a teacher at all, or even just an adult in a church, would you pray this prayer this way? If I asked you, how do you pray for our kids? Would these thoughts come to mind? Are these different? What can we learn about how we should be praying for our children. Uh, is there someone that you're trying to mentor in the faith? Someone you're reaching out to? Be like, you really got to give God a try. Trust him in this thing and see what he will do. Let's read. Would you pray this prayer over them? We have graduates. We're going to be praying over them, I think, next Sunday. A prayer of blessing as they leave high school and college and on to the next season. Would we pray this prayer over our graduates? If you were going to pray a legacy prayer, something to leave behind, what would you say? Here's what Jesus said. So I'm just going to go ahead and read it uh, in its entirety so we can hear the whole prayer and put yourself into that moment. Think about the people that you would pray this for and we'll let Jesus teach us about prayer this morning. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven. And he said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, so that the Son may glorify you, since you have given him authority over all flesh, to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And catch this. This is one of the most succinct definitions of eternal life. It's right here in Jesus' own world. This is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God. And Jesus, you can put in the, because Christ is a title. It means the anointed one. So Jesus the Christ, Jesus the Messiah, whom you have sent. Let's read that again. This is eternal life. Here's the definition. That they, people, we, would know God, the only true God, and Jesus the Messiah, whom you have sent. I have glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. 
And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory I had with you before the world existed. This is one of those statements, if anyone has any questions about whether Jesus thought he was equal to God, whether he thought he was God incarnate, this statement, the presence and the glory that I had with you before the world existed. Jesus was pre-existent. So, I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Uh, name means identity. It means uh, essence. It means your, who and what you are, not just the title of God. So Jesus is saying, I have manifested, I've brought to life your essence, your power, your love to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now, he's like, in this moment, now they know that everything that you have given me is from you. For I have given them the words that you gave me. Just handed off the words of God. And they have received them and have come to know in truth that I came from you. And they have believed that you sent me. Now I am praying for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me. For they are yours. All of mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. Now, I am no longer in the world. I think it's so interesting that that's present tense. He already feels like he has departed. He has effectively finished. He, he sees himself as no longer in this life, and he's not yet been betrayed. Jesus knew what was coming. I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world. I am coming to you, Holy Father. So keep them in your name, in your love, in your justice, in your holiness. Give them in your name which you have given me, so Jesus has God's name, so that they may be one even as we are one. Now while I was with them, I kept them in your name. So he mentored, he trained, he advised these apprentices, these disciples. I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction, that the scripture might be fulfilled. This is Judas. But now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. The joy of this. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Now I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. So sanctify them. I mean, like, purify them. Make them holy. Um, consecrate them in the truth. And your word is truth. Now, as you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself. I set myself apart for this task. That they also may be sanctified in truth. Now, I do not ask for these only, but also for all those who will believe in me through their word, that they all may be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they may also be in us, so the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one even as we are one. I in them, you in me, that they may become perfectly one. So that the world may know that you sent me and loved them, even as you loved me. So, Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given to me, may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. O oh, righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, 
I know you, and these know that you have sent me. I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them. The love with which you have loved me may be in them, and I in them. Now it says, when Jesus had spoken these words, he went out with his disciples, crossed the Kidron Valley, where there was a garden, which he and his disciples entered. Verse 2 is interesting. We'll just say that and we'll stop there. Now Judas, who betrayed him, also knew the place, for Jesus often met there with his disciples. This is a garden they often went to to pray. This is a place Jesus himself often went to to pray. And we don't have any of those (laughs) solitary prayers recorded, but we've got this one. And and I hope you realize we went through it. There's like a lot there. Right? We could break this into a mini-series and break this into chunks and go through it over a longer period of time, but I would like to instead encapsulate it, think of it as a whole, and spend this morning kind of digging into it and gleaning what we can. Um, it's known as the high priestly prayer because it's Jesus acting as priest, interceding on behalf of his people, but um, I've heard it referred to as um, Jesus' commissioning prayer. And I kind of feel like that's a little bit more accurate. He's commissioning the ones who he's sending just as I've been sent. What you're going to do in their lives, I'm praying for them. It's not necessarily a forgiveness prayer. So it doesn't quite play the role of priest within the prayer, although sanctify them is a priestly task, you know, consecrate them. Um, But this is essentially a legacy prayer, a commissioning prayer over his disciples. I wonder as we were reading it, if you were picturing the people that I asked you to kind of put in mind. Have you ever prayed a prayer like this for them? Now, this was prayed in the presence of the disciples. They were right there, obviously, it's being recorded. So, like, would you pray this to your child with your child sitting right there? Would we even be able to think up all these things to pray in a, in a sitting? Or would we just be like, God, please bless them and keep them safe? Uh, what are we having for dinner? Uh, oh, the phone's ringing. Oh, it buzzes. There's a text. I, like, you know what I mean? <laughs> he just goes into depth and he goes a little deeper. And then he goes a little deeper and he, go, and he just keeps digging into what it means to bless. So let's pick out some gems, shall we? Let's go back to the beginning and pick out some gems. And each one, each little nugget that we find from this master at work, I want you to put into practice. I want to put into practice. They're standing out to us this morning. We're here this morning because God wants you to hear his words. The same way Jesus said, I passed on these words. They're for us to do something with. Uh, You may find a beautiful new way to pray as a result of just observing Jesus. So the first thing in verse 1, Jesus lifts up his eyes to heaven and prays. Is that how you pray? Or is it... Right? What does our body do when we pray? What sort of prayer? Can't there be dancing prayers? Can't there be fall on your face prayers? Bow your head, close your eyes, kids. We're drilled from birth. That is how you pray. Jesus doesn't say to pray that way. But maybe that's a perfect way to pray, depending on the prayer. So in this prayer, his posture shows that he's like seeking heaven's blessing. He looks up and he prays. Doesn't say he had his eyes closed. Maybe he's just staring. He's looking up into the sky. He's seeing the clouds. He's seeing, he's going towards evening, right? So he's seeing um, the moon, the stars. He's praying, eyes open, face uplifted, speaking to his father. He prays a prayer of glory. God, in our children, in the people we're mentoring, in the people we love, would you get glory through their lives, please? That's where he starts. He doesn't start with the people. 
He starts with God and his glory. And then from there, what that glory could mean if someone really did live out that glory or feel it. Do we pray that way? Do we pray that our people will show God's glory and feel God's glory and live in God's glory and manifest it? That's a beautiful prayer of blessing to pray. Jesus speaks to his own authority. He defines eternal life as simply knowing God. He doesn't define eternal life as saying the sinner's prayer. He doesn't define eternal life as just going to heaven. He doesn't define eternal life as just being a good person. Eternal life is knowing God. And we have this treasure in jars of clay, so we still work through the, un, the imperfect bodies and lives and thoughts and minds. We're being sanctified. We're not all the way there. But I love that he defines eternal life as just knowing God. Do we pray for our people that they would just know him? Because that's going to make all the difference in their lives, just to know him. You can almost stop there. What more is there? Please help them to know you, God. Verse 6, I've manifested your name. This is the self-reflection. Have you? Have I? Do we look like God to the people that we're trying to minister to? Do we look like Jesus? That should certainly be the goal, but often we fall short. All right, well, that's an opportunity to extend grace, to confess, to repent, to work on forgiveness. Those are godly traits as well. But we want to manifest. We want to represent God to our people because ultimately they are theirs. They are God's. They're not ours. All right, there's words. Jesus handed off words. Have we handed off words? Do we speak scripture to people? Do we quote scripture in conversation? Have we sat down with someone and read through a gospel? Like, this is the whole story as Mark records it. This is what Jesus did. This is what he said. Do we hand off the words? Because it's not enough for us just to have a nice smiling face and say, there is a God and he loves you. We're supposed to be handing off his words. The words are what bear fruit and what put down roots and bear, bear seed, like gain traction in people's lives. So how are we doing at handing off the word? Not just even living it out, because that's part of it, but speaking it. Speaking God's words into people's lives. If we're doing that, then we're doing what Jesus did. And there will be something that can grow in someone else after us. Uh, Verse 9, I'm praying for our people, not praying for the world. It's It's a very interesting truth. You can't save the world, but you can save a person. You know, the Bible predicts that this world will be, Peter says, you know, consumed in fire. The book of Revelation talks about like, judgment day and tribulation. So the end is coming at some point, only God knows, and it will be bad. So there may be some reprieves in there. There's all sorts of different thoughts that are had about um, uh, the millennium, the thousand-year reign that's in Revelation. Is that symbolic and is that literal? And so there will be times in society that go up and down. Be better and worse. I'll grant you that. But the end is the end. And so we're not actually praying that this whole world like figures it out and ultimately is just redeemed. Ultimately, the world ends. We're praying for individuals, for souls to be saved so that whenever the end comes, those souls continue on. New heaven, new earth. And that we don't have to bear the same judgment that creation itself and all those who don't believe will. So this is an interesting prayer. We'd want to pray for world peace, and that's great, and it's not sinful to do so. But I would say start by praying for peace in the people you know that don't have peace. If I know 100 people and I pray for them to have peace and 100 people have peace, I'm implementing world peace. And if all of them pray for the hundred people that they know, and individuals can change because God can do anything, and then another hundred people have peace, we're 
exponentially creating world peace, but to just pray that the world will be a better place and that things will work out becomes amorphous. It becomes like, oh, how do you do that? And then it doesn't happen because sin is rampant and there's a, uh, what do you call it, a prince of this world that's actively working against peace. And Jesus doesn't pray for world peace. He prays for peace of his people. And I want that. I want to be in the midst of a world that's crazy and yet still have peace. And then I want to talk to one more person that's in the midst of the crazy world that doesn't have any peace. Like God actually can give you crazy, unrealistic, unreasonable peace that will pass all understanding. And then they experience it like, wow. You see, that's the seed of the kingdom. That's how Jesus goes. He goes from small to big. And in this case, it's a perfect example. Um, he prays for God's own that we would manifest the peace of God in the world. And then that will change the world. Um, but it, it's really fairly unrealistic to pray that a bunch of uh, non-believing, unrepentant people who don't know God would all of a sudden start manifesting his name. Because that's what you're praying for in world peace. That everyone who doesn't believe in God would suddenly start acting Christian. Start acting like Christ. Why why would that happen? And is that even possible? Can someone apart from God just suddenly be like, I decided today I'm going to be perfect. And they just start acting. No, we're unable to be perfect. So praying a prayer asking those who don't have God's help to be like Christ is sort of an unkind and unfair prayer. Why aren't you figuring it out? Because of sin. Why aren't you better? Because of the flesh. Like, why didn't you? Because we're weak. We need God's help. So we pray for those that have connected to God, that he will empower them so that they will be like him. We pray for others who don't know him to connect to God. We don't just pray for the world to be a better place. We pray for people to become God's, to be given eternal life, and to know him. To know him. Verse 12 says, when I was with them, I kept them in your name. Jesus has this guardianship over us. We're supposed to be protective of our people, protective of our kids, protective of the the people around us who are coming to know God or in that kind of like fragile state of, I think I believe, but I'm not sure. Like, be protective. Put out your wings. Gather some people in. Have some meals. Be helpful. Pray for them. Show love. Like, do what you can because that's how Jesus treated his own. So therefore, a master at work is who we're trying to imitate. We want to be his apprentices. He guarded and protected. Be that way for the people around us. He talks about giving them their word. We've talked about that. The scripture is so important. It is so important. Uh, I think especially important for our church, for New Hope, as it um, kind of explores what it means to serve out in the community more and more. We talk a lot about serving, and this is beautiful because it's what Jesus did. Um, But we have to recognize that serving is kind of like a doorway. It's meant to usher people into relationship with God. And so from serving, it has to go to kind of like Scripture, right? Serving to Scripture or serving to study, it has to go somewhere because if it just stays as nice deeds done by nice people at nice times, that's not the definition of eternal life. (laughs) The Word is what we're supposed to be passing on. May every meal that Patrice cooks be an invitation for someone to have a conversation with God or or to read his word. May every hammer that we swing or or, or paintbrush that we push be an opportunity to speak a scripture or to pray a prayer so that we might not just be good deed doers, but that they might know our Father who is in heaven, right? That's the the end of the Sermon on the Mount, that they may, you're a city on a hill, a light on a hill, so that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father who is in heaven. It always is supposed to be progressive. Our serving is supposed to be an entrance, an invitation, a 
uh, a grace. We love the Lord, so we love you. And you should know the Lord, too, because you will never meet anyone like him. All right, verse 15. I do not ask that you take our people out of the world, but that you keep them from evil or from the evil one. If we're sending off kids to college, I think we just want them to like stay away from every bad influence. So the prayer I'd pray for a kid going to college is please keep them out of every bad friendship. Keep them out of every um, bad party. Keep them away from every mistake. Keep That's not what he says. Like I don't pray that they stay out of it. They're going to be right in the middle of it. I pray that they're safe in it. That they're protected in it. That they can stand and be a light in that dark place instead of getting sucked in by it. And run over by it. And chewed up and spit out by it. But you know, even that happens. There's redemption. God's on the other side of that too. So Jesus is a very brave prayer here for his people. He's not praying that they just stay away from every problem. He's praying that they'd be with God through it and with God after it. That's Parents, that's brave. I do not pray that they will avoid every mistake. I do not pray that they will avoid every bad friendship. I do not pray. I don't even want to pray that. That feels like I should be praying that. And you can, but in this case, Jesus has more faith than that. He's not actually praying to avoid the problems. He's praying that they'd be with God through them and be kept from that ultimate loss, from evil. You know, that's, that's a brave prayer. It's a good prayer. It's a faith prayer. He prays for them to be sanctified, as we talked about, kind of as we went through it, set apart, different, holy, purified. Uh, what else can we glean from this I guess one of the last points in it is the prayer for unity. For any people here who um, were one of several siblings, do you think your parents ever prayed that you as siblings would be one? Maybe yes, maybe no. It's just an interesting question. What would it be like if you as siblings were all one? You know, unity instead of the division and the heartache and the friction that can happen in families so easily. That's an interesting prayer. Those of us with multiple children, what if you prayed that our kids would all be one? That they'd be together, that they would be unified, they'd be for each other, that they would feel love between. That's a good prayer, but it's a deep prayer. That's not just, we love them all distinctly and they're all their own individuals. Like, no, we're praying actually for bonding. We're praying for unity. I encourage you to think about that with your, your people, whomever your people might be. Lord, make them one. Maybe as we head into the downtown area of Taunton, we could pray that downtown Taunton would be one in Christ. What would that prayer look like? Father, help us to manifest your name in downtown Taunton. What will we look like? We don't pray that you take downtown Taunton out of the world. It is in the world, but keep us safe in it. And pull people to you for your glory in it. May they all be one. As I was reading this, I feel like I, I don't pray these prayers specifically in this way for our church. I want to begin that. This is one of the nuggets that I want to adopt. I pray that our church would be one. You know, more than just each of us. I think of you more individually, connecting to God or in pockets as you serve in ministries or missional communities. But what if we are all just one? What would that feel like? How would we represent the kingdom of God? This is a kingdom kind of prayer. They might all be one. It's, it's beautiful and it's profound. I encourage you to think of praying these ways for your people. And it ends with the statement of love. And this is what it's all about. We've been saved because God loves us. 
And so we're supposed to love our people. And whatever people you're mentoring, you might say, I don't really know if I'm mentoring anyone. Well, then find that person. You are not just here for yourself. I'm not just here. Find the person that you are trying to send out as Jesus came, was sent by the Father. He sends us out so that we would complete this process and that all those who learn through that message would then become one. You should be mentoring people spiritually. You should be mentoring your own children spiritually. Adults in the church should be trying to mentor whatever little rugrats are running around in here. Mentor them. Be there for them in the same way Christ was. Lovingly, because we love them and God loves them so much that he sent his son to die for them. So Jesus prays his prayer and then he goes to his death. And that's the context. That's the moment. If we're going to our death, would we pray these words? I think, I think we could and I think we should and I think we should adopt so many of these things as parts of our regular pattern of prayer. And so what we're going to do is we are not going to be hearers of the word only. We're going to be doers. I'm going to ask Greg to get the pen basket from the back, please. And if anyone doesn't have a pen, I want you to raise your hand. And I am going to pass out some paper. It's just blank. I would like each of us here to write a prayer. Okay? Write a prayer to whomever has been in your mind while we've been reading this scripture. And I want you to write it in such a way that you put, yeah, if you need a pen, just raise your hand. Greg can help you out. Write it in such a way that you incorporate as many of these principles of prayer in it. All right? This is written prayer. Some churches have this as a very familiar tradition. Some churches never write their prayers out at all. We have Jesus' prayer written. I would like us to personalize it. Um, and so we'll take just a few minutes, maybe... Five or ten, you know, we're going to let it sit for a minute. We're just going to rush through this. Uh, but take a moment, think about all the things that we've talked about, the specific things that jumped out to you off the page, and then your person or persons that came to mind. And write out this prayer. It can be a long, lengthy prayer, but try to incorporate it, uh, incorporate as many of the elements from John 17 as possible. play the piano a little bit as we do to give us a little background music. Um, take your time with this. Take your time. 